You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Continue on in our, our study of Exodus chapter four. Now, uh, as Mark was saying as he was, as he was leading worship, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday. And what Pentecost is, is it was a feast that was celebrated 50 days after Passover was over. So 50 days after Passover was over. Now, we know that Passover ended uh, the day before the resurrection of Christ, okay? So Christ's resurrection would have been the first day of Passover, would have been the first day of this 50-day cycle. The Bible says that Christ walked on the earth for 40 days. Then he gave this mandate in Acts chapter uh, one, or this, this promise to his church in Acts chapter one, that in a few days from now, okay, Acts chapter one, five through eight, that the Holy Spirit will come over you. Okay? And he's going to empower you to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Now, church, that promise is for us as well. The Holy Spirit is here to empower us to become witnesses, okay, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whether that becomes a witness at a coffee shop playing a game where we get to sit down and talk to somebody or whether that becomes a witness while we're trying to whoop up on Coastal Chapel playing softball while we're eating hamburgers and hot dogs or whether that becomes a witness in a class that we're doing over here anyway or whether that just becomes a witness while you're going to the dog park with your friends. The Holy Spirit will empower you to become a witness and that's what Pentecost was all about. Now, people are afraid of Pentecost. Why? Because the disciples started speaking in tongues. So people are afraid that this fire that the Holy Spirit is about to pour out on the church is actually going to be some kind of wildfire and people are going to get scared and they're going to go home and they're going to say, the church is a place for crazy people. Right? People get afraid of Pentecost. But listen, Pentecost is not about speaking in tongues. That can happen. It happens sometimes. There's translations. We believe in the gifts of the spirits continuing on. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit moving forward in the church. We believe that the gifts give us these incredible abilities to do the things that God has called us to do. But we do believe above all things, the purpose of every single one of those gifts is to make you a witness to a lost world a witness to a lost world. That's the purpose. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. What do you think is more important about that day? The fact that Peter was speaking in tongues or that 3,000 souls were saved that day? That's the most important thing, church. That's what Pentecost was about. It was about the Holy Spirit coming over them that they would be able to reach into the community. See, it's Pentecost. I'm getting a little Pentecostal on you, right? Now, a good Pentecostal preacher would have already sweat through his suit. I mean, that's just the way it goes, all right? Now, I don't have a suit and tie on, okay? But I grew up in a church where if the preacher wasn't sweating, he wasn't preaching. He wasn't preaching, all right? Now, I'm going to tell you, it was a good time, but it was a long time. 
We'd be in church for three or four hours, y'all. Okay? So, but anyway, I'm excited about the fact that it's Pentecost Sunday and we're talking about what we're talking about. And I believe that that's on purpose. I see that God does these types of things on purpose. So uh, we're going to get into Acts chapter 4, but I just want to listen to Pastor Will's message. He did a great message last week. I love Pastor Will. He's got a little Pentecostal edge to it. Did you, did you feel that? He's just, just a little bit, just a little bit of Pentecostal edge. He gets excited sometimes. I love that about Pastor Will, right? And so he, did, he gave a great message about Moses' call and what's in your hand. What's in your hand? And I love that. And he said that many, many times. He said, what's in your hand, church? What's in your hand? Moses had a staff in his hand that God used, but what's in your hand? What has God put in your hand for you to be able to use to do ministry in Delray Beach, in Boynton Beach, in Boca Raton, Florida, wherever you happen to live? What has God put in your hand? What has he given you? What has he given you? What facilities has he given you? What type of house do you have? Maybe it's a house that's perfect for fellowship. Maybe you have a great backyard for summer barbecues. All right? Maybe it's a place where we do baptisms because you got a great pool. Who knows? What has God put in your hand? Maybe you're a great speaker. Maybe you have great interpersonal skills, which means you're really good with people. You're really good with people. You know that God gave you that and he put that in your hands so that you could be a witness, so that you could be a witness, so that you could testify at the beginning of this year, when we had our financial meeting, when we had our, our vision meeting for the year, Pastor Daniel said the word that God gave him was testimony, testimony. And so this is the thing, we're in the middle of the year. Have you used your testimony? Because God put that in your hand. Have you used your testimony, church? Have you used your testimony? Because Moses has a testimony. Moses has a testimony here of spending 40 years in the desert. First 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. 40 years in the house of Pharaoh being raised up as an adopted son. Now we talked about it two weeks ago when I was sharing that more than likely the guy that's Pharaoh right now when Moses is about to go back was Moses' brother while he was growing up or his uncle. Okay? Because we know that other Pharaoh died. And so this is either Moses' uncle or possibly even a brother that he grew up with for 40 years. Somebody that he would have known. And he's going to go back into this area, all right, and he is going to speak to them, and he's going to go back like many of us, and we're going to talk about that tonight, okay? Going back. That's the title of our message tonight, okay? You have been called to go back. You have been called to go back. So uh, we see that Moses was doubtful as we began to look at last week about his ability to go and talk to Pharaoh. God gave him sign after sign after sign and Moses doubted himself because he didn't trust himself. I don't know if you've ever been in that position, church, where God told you to do something and you said, but God, I can't. I'm not capable of doing that thing. I'm not capable of doing that thing. And God was patient. And God asked him to do something that probably Moses really wasn't capable of doing. But here's the thing. We need to recognize you can't. You can't. 
You can't. God called you to do it not because you can, but because he can through you. And that's the beauty of our God. He said, you can't, but I can. And that's what he told Moses when he called him. Moses was like, I, 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 I can't speak. I, 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 I stutter. How, 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 how am I supposed to? My guess is that when ner- Moses was nervous, he probably stuttered. The Bible said he had the finest of educations when he lived in the house of Pharaoh. He was a very learned man. He was very educated. But he said he couldn't speak and he didn't know things. And how in the world was he supposed to go stand before a king and tell all of these things? You know, I love it. Jesus deals with that with his disciples. He says, hey, when you stand before kings, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words in the moment. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't be intimidated by them. They're just sinners in need of a savior just like you are. There's men and they're broken, fallen men, all right? Don't be intimidated by them, all right? So God was patient with Moses. He kept insisting. Moses kept insisting that he was unable. We need to recognize, guys, that there's nothing that we can do by our might or our power. Uh, Zechariah 4, 6 says it the best. He says, then the Lord said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, now remember, Zerubbabel was called to go back and build the temple, all right? And he said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, okay? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The very first church that I pastored in, this was plastered everywhere. Because it's not by my might, It's not by my power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. If the Spirit of the Lord builds the church, the church will not fall. Even if the men who are running the church fall. All right? If the Spirit of the Lord is building the church, the church will not fall. Now, if you've ever been a part of a church that had a a failure in it, from a pastor or from one of the leaders, you know how painful that is and you know how difficult that is. But church, I will tell you today that I have seen a church have their pastor fall and still be able to move forward and do ministry. Now it hurt, it hurt, but here's the thing. What the realization was is they had to do some stuff. They had to reorganize some stuff. They had to figure some stuff out, realize where the mistakes were made and all those types of things. But here's the reality is the church was not built on the pastor or by the pastor. He's a man and he failed. They do that. You do that. We do that. We fail, okay? It's built by the spirit of the Lord. And that's what Pentecost was all about, you guys. It's Pentecost Sunday. That's what Pentecost was all about. Moses has to recognize that if he's gonna go in and deliver the people of God, it's not by his power, it's not by his might, but it's by the Spirit of God that this is going to happen. It's only the Spirit of God that can convince this hard-hearted Pharaoh. And it's only the Spirit of God that can convince your stubborn friend. 
your stubborn son, your stubborn daughter, your family member. It's only the Spirit of God that's going to convince them to receive your witness and see Christ in you and receive it for themselves. It's only the Spirit of God. I know it's discouraging sometimes. We share and we share. You guys ever experienced that? You ever shared with somebody for a really long time and they just won't get it? You're frustrated. You wanna give up. God says, don't give up. Keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. Keep praying for him, all right? Let's jump into our scripture tonight. Uh, Pastor Will did Exodus chapter four, one through 17, what's in your hand. Uh, beautiful message there about what's in your hand. Uh, we're gonna take a look at uh, what Moses has uh, starting in verse 18. Uh, let's pray as we jump into this section of scripture. Lord Jesus, we just ask for you to guide us uh, through this passage of scripture, Lord. We ask that your power would be with us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would minister to this body of believers, that you would encourage us and uplift us and fill us with your joy, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. All right, uh, verse 18. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Verse 18, respect, respect. God had called him, God had called him. Moses could have walked into Jethro and said, listen, God called me to go, I'm going. I don't care about customs, I don't care about traditions, I don't care about any of this stuff. But he knew. He knew he was about to take Jethro's daughter and grandchildren away from him. And so he went to Jethro and he said, Jethro, I'm asking for your permission. I'm asking you for your permission. Now, he didn't need Jethro's permission to be able to go. God said, you're gonna go, Moses. But he did it anyway. But he did it anyway. He was trying to respect the culture and respect Jethro. And this is actually really important. If you know the book of Exodus, Jethro is gonna play a very important role later on in the government of the Israelites. He's gonna be the one that sweeps in and says, Moses, stop it. You're doing too much. You can't do it by yourself. You need to break these people up. You need to set governors over them. You need to set judges over them. And he sets up a whole system that the people would be governed and ministered to by a multitude of people as opposed to just Moses because he saw Moses kind of falling apart. And so Jethro will become very important. Imagine if Moses had just stomped into his father-in-law right here in the very beginning and said, listen here, Jethro, God said I'm going. You need to shut your mouth. I'm going whether you like it or not. I'm taking your daughter, I'm taking your grandkids, and I'm out of here. No, respect. We need to, the, the scripture tells us we have to respect our elders. We have to respect that those that God has put in positions of authority over us. And while a father-in-law is not necessarily a position of authority over you, in some ways they are, right? Those of you guys who have been father-in-laws, you know that you had to hand your son or daughter over to somebody else. And it's probably, I did a wedding last weekend, 
and the dad was just a mess. It's, it's his first daughter to give away. He has four of them. It was his first daughter to give away. And for him, as much as he liked this guy, to be able to hand his daughter over to this young man and say, you take care of her now, okay? Oh, so tough for a dad. So tough for a dad. You take care of her now. I'm not looking forward to those days. Right, girls? Okay. Not looking forward to those days. All right, verse 19, moving forward, and it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hands. You've been called to go back. You have been called to go back. You've been called to go back. Now, God told Moses, go back. Egypt represents the world. Moses has been taken out of the world. He's been rescued. He's been rescued. He's safe. He's comfortable. Being comfortable is probably one of the most dangerous things for a Christian. It's probably one of the most dangerous things for a Christian because comfort leads to complacency. And complacency leads to laziness. And laziness leads to drifting. Because when we get too comfortable, we stop praying real hard, we stop reading the word of God, we stop doing the things that we know need to be done. Y'all know, it's difficult, right? to make sure that you have a regular Bible reading program in your life. It's difficult for some of us. Some people are really gifted at intercessory prayer. The rest of us struggle. I don't know if you guys are anything like me. You'll be like, Lord, thank you for today. And thank you. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. Oh, so I pray for that, Lord. I pray that you'd help me do that. Oh yeah, I think I forgot to change the laundry. Maybe I should call the kids and tell them to change the laundry. Lord, I pray that the kids would see the laundry and see that it needs to be changed. Amen, hallelujah. Really getting somewhere now. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. But you know, the Bible actually talks about these things and lots of books have been written about it. It's called spiritual disciplines disciplines because they're hard to do and they take discipline to do them. Being comfortable is one of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be. Moses was getting comfortable. He'd been there for 40 years. Things were just going smoothly along in his life. And then that burning bush changed everything, didn't it? Flipped his world right upside down. And God said, hey, wake up, Moses. It's time to move. What? But I'm... I like herding sheep on the side of a mountain. It's easy. It's pretty easy. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. Gonna go back. You're gonna go back. You've been called to go back into the difficult place where they all wanted to kill you. This is gonna be fun. I mean, you had great notoriety there at one point. And then you jumped out ahead of God. You did your own thing. And now... 
they don't like you there anymore. But don't worry. All the people that didn't like you, they're all dead. They're all dead. Don't worry about it. And you're gonna go back. And you're gonna go back. So you have been called to go back. Moses is a typology. He's a type of Christ. A savior of his people. We have been saved from the world, but we are called by God to go back into the world. We're called by God to go back into this world. He wasn't told to go back and live an Egyptian lifestyle among the people necessarily, but rather to go back and rescue people from that life of slavery. Sin is slavery. Egypt represents the world. They're stuck in slavery in Egypt. You can see when we are in the world, we are slaves to sin, right? And Christ came that we could be rescued from this world. John 17, 16 through 19, Jesus, and this is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture, Jesus is actually praying for his disciples. We get an entire passage of scripture in John chapter 17 that Jesus is praying to the Father. So here we have the Son praying to the Father, and it's all recorded for us to read. If you have a red letter Bible, it's red letters, okay? This is really cool stuff. But here's one of the things that Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. No, they didn't come like Jesus came. But he said, I've sanctified them. I set them apart. They're no longer of this world. And he prays, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So he said, I'm going to send them into the world. Father, we've delivered them from the world. But I'm going to send them back into the world. But sanctify them. Keep them pure. Keep them holy. How are we going to do that? In the truth of your word. Church, the discipline of reading the word of God. The discipline of reading the word of God. We need to be in the word of God if we plan on ministering the word of God to other people. And that's what you've been called to do. You've been called to go back. You've been called to go back. It's important for us to remember we're not above the world. Okay, we're saved. The difference in us is Christ. It's not you. The difference in you is Christ. It's important to remember that we're also not desperately trying to get out of the world. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I get to live, I get to keep ministering the gospel and leading people to salvation out of wickedness. And if I die, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Both are great. But he was doing what God called him to do. He wasn't trying to get killed. There was one point where they were about to kill him and he said, hey, wait, 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 wait. I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, whoa, whoa. And we beat him. We're in trouble now. We shouldn't have done that. You can't do that to Roman citizens. Why didn't you tell us that before? Because now we could be in trouble. He played a card. 
to keep himself from getting killed. He could have been killed in that moment if he was just looking to go home to be with the Lord, right? Here's the thing. If God just wanted you to be in his presence in heaven the moment you got saved, you know what he'd do? As soon as you knelt down and said, Jesus, I surrender all. I give it all to you, Lord Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and I recognize, Lord, that you are that savior and you died on that cross for me. You lived a perfect life. Lord, and I surrender my life to you, Lord. Sanctify me, Jesus. I'd be gone, right? But you're not. Why? Because God needs you. He wants you. He wants you. I've heard it said before, he could have written his message across the stars. He could have written it in the heads of little flowers. He didn't. He wrote it on your heart. And he gave you a testimony. And he said, watch what I'm gonna do in your life. Now tell them what I did in your life. And watch how it affects them. You've been called to go back, church. Moses was called to go back to Egypt. You're called to go back. Now I'm not saying go back to the bar. Please don't get me wrong. Okay, we're not going back to the bar. We're not going back to the strip clubs. We're not going back to all of the things that might draw us in. But this is the thing. As a church, sometimes we get in our own little Christian bubble. We only have Christian friends. We do all of these things. And, and people constantly tell you that you're called to go into this world and preach to the world. And you're like, but what world? Who am I supposed to be sharing with? Well, that's a little bit of a red flag, guys, okay? That means we don't have any non-believers in our life at all. If we don't have anyone to share with, that means I got no non-believers in my life. But we've been called to go. We've been called to witness. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. To be a witness. Well, who are we gonna witness to? The church, who are we going to witness to? The church? The church is a place where we find our encouragement. The church is the place where we find our strength, that we get the wind beneath our wings, as Bette Midler would say. That's a reference probably too old for most of you guys. Half of you guys. Listen, we need the church. This is where we should be empowered by the Spirit of God to go out into our community, to go out and share, to invite people to these places and these things that we're doing. And I like the way that, that David Mathis said it. David Mathis is a commentator and he said, so maybe it would serve us a little bit better. We have this slogan that we say, in but not of the world. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that or not. And he said, maybe it would serve us a little better in light of John 17 to revise the phrase in but not of in this way. Not of, but sent into. Not of, but sent into. The beginning place is being not of the world, and the movement is towards being sent into the world. The accent falls on being sent with a mission to the world, not being mainly focused on a mission to disassociate with the world. Look at the ministry of Jesus. He dined with tax collectors, he hung out with sinners. And the religious made fun of him. They made fun of him. 
And sometimes when we take on that phrase, in but not of, we disassociate ourselves with the world. We say we can't hang out with non-believers. We don't go to dinner with non-believers. We don't do anything with non-believers. I'm just as guilty as you are. Maybe more. I teach in a Christian school. So my whole day is spent surrounded by a whole bunch of people. Now, if you think everybody in a Christian school is saved, you got another thing coming because it ain't true. I minister the gospel a lot, to be honest with you. Okay? We're not trying to get out of here. If we are, we're missing the true call of Jesus. If our goal is just to, to get that ticket and get to heaven, kind of like the Willy Wonka factory, we're looking for that golden ticket to heaven and that's all we're looking for, we've missed the true call of Jesus. Church, he has chosen you. He has spoken to you through the Holy Spirit, kind of like a burning bush. He's spoken to you. He's speaking to you right now. It's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit showed up and he's speaking to you. He's saying, get out of your comfort zone. And if you're super comfortable, you need to change something in your life. Join a class, do something that's gonna get you into places where you can be with non-believers and be able to share the good news. We have a great privilege, church. You've been called to share the good news, to show love and kindness. You're being kind, right? Are we being kind, church? Are we being loving? Mm-hmm. I don't know. First Peter, I love this verse and I've used it several times. It says, you've been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light in chapter, in verse nine. And then in verse 11, it says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which you, they slander you as evildoers, they may become uh, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of salvation. They may slander you as an evildoer. You're one of them Christians, right? Those are the haters out there. Those are those haters out there, right? The Christians are hating on people. That's what the news says anyway. That's what the news says. Literally, a man is under uh, great... Um, persecution right now in the media because he stood and gave a graduation announcement at a tiny little school in the middle of River Valley somewhere. I don't even remember where it was, like Illinois or something. And he stood before the small group of people graduating from this school. And he said, hey, graduating class, you're about to go to college. It's a great place to find a spouse. Do it with biblical principles. Man and woman. Do it with biblical principles. What? He can't say that, not in public. Oh, and they're trying to sue him for his commencement speech. A little boy was kicked out of school uh, a a few months ago because uh, he refused to call a boy by birth that he grew up with until the third grade, but the parents had transgendered him into a female. And the boy still called him by his first name. They call that a dead name now. This is happening all around us, guys. It's a dead name. He called him by his dead name. That's a dead name. You can't call him by that. So it's gender bullying. 
It's gender bullying, and the kid got expelled from school for gender bullying another kid. Third grade, these things are happening all around us. We are called to kindness and love even in the midst of this kind of craziness, but we are also called to stand for truth. Don't forget that, okay? Don't forget that. We are called to stand for truth. We must be among the Gentiles. One of the things I love about this uh, passage in, in Peter in verse 12, uh, it says, it says that, that your behavior among the Gentiles. In another translation, it actually says your behavior among the pagans, indicating that Peter understood that it was necessary for the church to be among the pagans. If you ain't among them, how are they gonna hear the gospel? How are they gonna hear the gospel? Right? So we've been called out. Moses was called to go back. You've been saved. You've been saved. You've been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Now God's saying, you're the marvelous light. You're reflecting my love. Now go back into the darkness and reflect my love to the people that are still in the darkness. To the people that are still in the darkness. Church, we're supposed to be out. We're supposed to be doing these things. We have been called out. Let's continue on. Verse 21, and it says, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let his people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve you. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God said, say that to him. Say that to him. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put Moses to death. Isn't that the craziest thing? God just said, hey, Moses, go back to Egypt. Go back to Egypt. Deliver my people. Moses said, all right, I can't do it. 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 And God said, I'm with you. Here's a staff. Drop it on the ground. It's a snake. Pick it up by its tail. It's a snake. It's a staff now. He said, put your hand in your cloak. It's leprous. Put it back. It's not leprous. Woo, look at this, y'all. Right? Yay, cool stuff. I got all these signs and wonders. God showed me that he's with me and he's empowered me to do all these things. And Moses said, I still can't do it. Those are neat tricks, but I can't do it. And he says, okay, I'll send somebody with you. I'll send somebody with you. And so he said, I'll send Aaron with you. I said, great. So Moses was like, okay, Jethro, we're going. You have my blessing, all right? Pack up the stuff, y'all, we're going. And they start heading out and they're staying in this place. And in this place, Moses gets really sick and he's about to die. And his wife knows why. Is your house in order? Is your house in order? 21 through 26. God was about to put Moses to death. God wasn't frustrated that Moses had married a Gentile, which he had. He had. Okay? 
He had gone into the wilderness. He married a Midianite woman. Zipporah is her name. God wasn't frustrated by that. But rather that Moses had not taught his family in the way of the Lord. According to Hebrew law, all male children needed to be circumcised. Zipporah understood this and acted to save Moses by circumcising the boy. So a lot of commentators believe that Moses had circumcised his firstborn son because it actually only says that she circumcised one of Moses' son, but scripture indicates that he has two at this time. That he had circumcised his firstborn son, but many believe that Zipporah was not very happy about this and Moses conceded and did not circumcise their second-born son. Now, this is one of those things that God warns when he says, hey, be careful, because if you go out and you marry someone, okay, you're likely to slip into their belief system much quicker than they'll slip into yours. They're gonna think that the things that you're called to do are crazy. They're gonna think they're crazy. And here's a perfect example of that, right? And so as we get down here, we see in verse 25, it says, then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. I think they're fighting, y'all. So he led him alone. And it was said that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, Scripture says that Zipporah is the one who said, mm, now I gotta go circumcise my son. She did it. It didn't say that Moses circumcised his son. It says that Zipporah went and circumcised her son, took the cut off bloody foreskins, threw them at Moses' feet and says, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. You know what I love about this passage of Scripture is it's messy, ain't it? Here's the thing. Is your life messy? Is your life messy? Because mine is. My house is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But we do the best that we do. We do the best that we can do. I teach my kids about the things of the Lord. They know everything that I believe. I hope and pray that they all believe it but you can never force your kids to believe. You can pray for them. That's what we can do. You can't force them. We love them. We show them what it is. We give them our testimony. We show them everything about it, but you can't force them. Is your house in order? What that means for Moses is not that everyone in his house is in perfect alignment with God but that he has done his due diligence to make sure that they understand and live according to, in some ways, like his son's being circumcised. You're supposed to do that on the eighth day. Now they're boys. They're boys. You know what's amazing? Is on the eighth day, you have more vitamin K in your blood than ever before, which is a blood clotting agent on the eighth day. God didn't make any mistakes. That's scientific proof that God knew what he was doing. It's medical proof that God knew what he was doing when he said, eighth day, circumcise the boys. Because the blood clots really quickly on the eighth day. After that, 
the vitamin K starts to decline and the blood clotting starts to go down and you'll bleed out a lot longer. God's pretty cool like that, isn't he? Medical evidence that God knew what he was doing right from the beginning. He created medicine. He created science. He created all of it, guys. Zipporah was not happy, but she knew what was holding him back. She knew what was holding him back. She knew it was because her son wasn't circumcised. How she knew that, scripture doesn't tell us. It just says she went in, she did it, she threw it at his feet, she was not happy about it. Verse 27, it says, the Lord said to Aaron, going into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain and got of mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron the words that the Lord had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. They're preparing for the mission, guys. Preparing for the mission. We should be prepared. It's one of the reasons we study God's word. We talked about it already. We need to be ready. Several months ago, we did a class in apologetics to be prepared, to know how to talk to people, to be witnesses. We need to know God's word we need to meet together and discuss strategy. We call that church. We meet together and we discuss strategy. The plan, how we're gonna reach our community, empowering each other to reach our community. Moses shared his vision, the plan, and everything that God had shown him. So God calls leaders and he says, leader, share your vision, your plan, and everything that God has shown you with the people that are gonna be empowered to go out and do the work. That's you, and that's you. That's why pastors give vision meetings, give plans, but mostly we teach the word of God and try to help you understand the word of God. Ministry partners are good. They can help keep you on vision when you're getting off. They help align you with what God has called you to do. You know, when Jesus sent his disciples out to do ministry, he sent them out two by two. He said, you two go there, you two go there, you two go there. They give us accountability. They say, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're slipping a little. You need to refocus. You need to refocus, right? Now we're gonna find with Aaron, they can also lead us astray if we're not careful. Yeah, that's gonna happen, Right? Verse 29 to finish up here, guys. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Worship is the most appropriate response. Man, when you see that God has seen your affliction, Look at this group of elders. Here's the thing. God told Moses, go talk to this group of elders. God had already prepared their hearts. When God tells you, go talk to your coworker, guess what? God has already prepared their hearts to be delivered, to be rescued. He's already prepared their hearts. It's not by my might, not by my power, but by the Spirit of God. But by the Spirit of God. Scripture says that no one comes unto the Father unless the Holy Spirit draw them in. It's not because fancy words you said. 
It's because of the Spirit of God. You've been called to go back, church. These elders, they were, they were ready to receive it. Moses said all these things to them, told them everything, told them the I am, and they're like, okay, let's go. It's not the response that Moses expected. It's not the response that Moses expected. But God had already prepared them. He had already prepared them. He had seen their affliction, and so they bowed their head and they began to worship. Worship, it's our appropriate response. When we recognize that he sees us, that he's heard our prayers, we need to worship. When one sinner gets saved, we need to worship. When someone gets restored unto faith, we need to worship. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.